Hello, and welcome back to Toddler Toolkit. Today is part two of Time Out versus Time In with a Twist. So we are picking up where we left off from last episode. Last episode, we had covered some studies that used Time Out and the three new studies that used Time In. And we talked about some mindset shifts and differences as well. But today we are talking about What were some of my experiences with using similar type strategies in the school system when I was a teacher for 10 years? And I also want to talk about a study that surveyed parents' perceptions and the use of timeout compared to empirical evidence, which they found. And I will give the information more on what percentage of parents reported using timeout in a matter that was not consistent with empirical evidence, meaning it was not in line with that. And can time in be a choice? And I also want to share my own time in choice break calm down method. I just wanted to share with you something super exciting. It's called the 25 Days of Christmas Toddler Activities and Tips Guide. Me and eight other contributors that are experts in their field, everything from self-care help to nutrition for your toddler has taken part in this amazing guide. If you go to the link in the show notes, you will see it there. And the great thing is if you opt in and get the guide now, you will also be included in the Thanksgiving guide, which is super amazing and helpful. And it was created by me and Nicole Prom at the Way It Really Is Mom blog. She is a twin mom. We made this Thanksgiving bonus guide together. It's really exciting. We go through Read, play, create, connect, and then we let you know what the 25 days of Christmas guide schedule is. So you can get that in the show notes and get awesome book recommendations, fun crafts, play activities for inside and outdoors and other fun connecting activities to bring the holiday and make it more meaningful for your family. So time in, how is that used in preschool? So mostly anecdotally from teachers I've talked to, it works pretty well. The adult helps the child regulate, calm down, and gives them the opportunity to either stay in the time and space or go back to the larger group. So these students might be there because they were having whatever, they had certain needs and they were separated away from the group so they could work in an other area so they could be successful. This is a little bit different, right? This this looks a little bit different than our time in we're talking about in the home. This is allowing the student to still work on whatever the assignment was, but scaling it back for them. We also can see something semi-similar when we talk about like a push-in strategy where we look at having a student join a general ed classroom and maybe they're attending that circle time or that lesson 
where they're most comfortable to be, right? And they can they can come into the story time. They could even read a book, but maybe overall they are a student that is the most comfortable not being in all the overstimulation of the circle sitting group, but they prefer to be a little bit back or something like that. And then they can join in when they are comfortable, right? Because it's about what works for them. That also is kind of, we can kind of see some relationship there, right? Because if they are neurodivergent and being forced to be neurotypical and it's not working for that student and they're not comfortable, then they could go into distress or have feel uncomfortable. We could see some calls for help, like meltdowns occurring. It's really interesting to kind of look at those little pieces and see like, okay, we still want the students to participate but how can we do it in a way that's best for them? You know, and so they're still learning. They're still there. They're still present. They're still, they learn in their own way. And that is okay. We're going to accommodate that. It's interesting if we kind of tie that kind of conversation back to the time in approach in home with a toddler child and a parent. And I think some of these strategies are all about in this, in the classroom, all about allowing the child to learn whether it's how to self-regulate or learn calming strategies. So they're learning to self-regulate. They're learning to calm and be able to participate when appropriate for them. And they have a say. They have a say about what they're comfortable with and what they want to do. I have seen students blossom from that and it helps build their confidence. On days that they feel overstimulated any more space, they don't have to do it because it's not benefiting them. So I, I I like how this is focused on their well-being. And I also feel like the time in approach correlates to that, where it's focusing on our child's well-being as a mindset at the forefront, right? This is also an other really interesting thing to bring up. So in special education, we had something called a safe area. And now this wasn't in, not in every classroom, It was only in certain programs. It was only in certain instances, right, where we might have that. And what is the difference between like a calm space in your house versus like a safe area that maybe a certain school program might have for for particular students' needs, okay? Safe areas are designed to ensure physical safety, particularly in a special ed setting where children might have behaviors that could lead to self-harm or harm others. So the main point of the safe area is to keep the child safe from harm. That is the, the main thing, okay? And keeping others safe as well is also important, okay? And usually a safe area has soft surfaces. Nothing can be broken. The student will not get injured. You know, if they have a meltdown that we could keep them safe, So how does this even, why am I even bringing this up? Because I think these concepts are interesting to relate to time in and time out. I think it's an interesting conversation. I don't know if other people are having this conversation. So I decided I would include it because there's something we can learn. So what can we learn from this whole safe area thing? And what is my opinion on it? I do, this is just my opinion, okay? From my experience in 10 years in teaching, I do not think a safe area is a proactive It is proactive in the way that we're keeping the students safe, but it is not replacing the communication skills and the proactive skills that we need to be teaching the child. So if we only relied every time a child is in a meltdown and has aggressive behavior, just like some toddlers can have, right? 
if we only relied on putting them in a soft padded room and we didn't rely on any other strategies, I don't believe this is going to help meltdowns, behavior, or self-regulation skills, not on its own. So how does this relate to time in or time out? I think if we are putting a kid in a corner and leaving them, that is not going to help them in the long run. It's a short-term solution. If we use time in and we sit with them, but there is nothing else there, I also don't think that's a good long-term solution. Being present is important, but there's some other things we need to include with that time in peace, okay? And we might find situations where our toddler is biting or hitting and kicking and we need space from them. We need space to calm. And if if we need to do that, then we can find a way to have some proximity space away from our toddler. So the difference might be that instead of like sitting on a hard wood chair, they could go to their calm area, which is more inviting. And if they are not ready for us to be there or we need a moment, we can do that, but we can always join them when we're ready or when they're ready, right? Because it goes both ways. And I want to talk about that a little bit more. So I I brought all that up because <laughs> I think it's an interesting conversation. But I also want to talk about this other study that was a survey of parents' perceptions on use of timeout compared to empirical evidence. And the study surveyed 401 parents of preschool and school-age children. Of the parents, 76.8% reported using timeout in response to misbehavior. However, 84.9% of these parents reported implementing timeout in a manner that was not consistent with empirical evidence. So what was happening were parents, of those 84.9%, parents were using timeout in a way that was too long or too short, or did they did not give their child a clear explanation of why they're being put there. Some parents used it as a punitive or shaming way to teach their children, which research shows can be ineffective or harmful. Also, they did find in the study that parents who perceived timeout as effective were more likely to give a single warning or a heads up before putting their child in timeout. And they were also more likely to require their child to be calm before it ended. So they weren't bringing their child back upset. Okay, they felt better about using timeout when they did that. The study concluded that these results suggest there are better methods and better evidence-based discipline that is needed to be shared with parents. There is more needed. This isn't the end-all be-all. I think that also is really interesting as we see that huge percentage of parents that are not using time out in the correct manner. Okay, so that is why, this is my opinion, why does the CDC endorse time out? I think because they're trying to keep children safe because we don't want any, you know, we don't want any maltreatment, right? They're making sure parents are using time out and are doing it without neglect or abuse. So they're proactively stating how to do time out effectively while keeping the interests of your child in mind. So that's why I think that they have it. And that's my opinion. Why have they not added time in or anything about that? Well, the research is on the newer side. It's only in the last few few years, right? 
It's only in the last few years we've had these studies. They are smaller studies. They're not a giant meta-analysis like that study on self-regulation skills. So that could be, it could be that that these studies combined are only a few hundred participants. It could be that, but it also could be that it's new. It also could be that they're just know that parents are most likely going to resort to using timeout. They might not be using time in and they want to make sure if they're going to use time out, their parents will use it safely. And that's just my opinion. Okay. (laughs) So this is kind of something I think is interesting. Should time in be mandated enforced? We're talking now, we said these studies, even though they're on the smaller side, showed great evidence about time in being a better practice than time out. Then does, is time in mandatory just like time out? Or can your child choose to do it? So I think time in can and in many respects should be offered as a choice rather than a mandatory action, because that would then really set it apart from being a timeout. And then we really no longer can say time in is just another flowery name for a timeout. We can't really say that anymore. If we're making it a choice, it's totally different, right? So presenting time in as a voluntary option does empower our toddlers, teaching them to recognize and respond to their own emotional state, which is crucial part of developing self-regulation skills. Here is how and why offering time in as a choice can be beneficial. So our toddlers are going to learn how to recognize their own personal needs. Also, making a choice in decision making is filling their independence bucket. Our toddlers are going to understand when they're overwhelmed, angry, and need a break. We can model and prompt and suggest and give choices to them too. Okay. And I'm going to go get into that in just a second. It also empowers them and engages them because they're making that choice, because they get to participate actively, collaboratively, and in cooperation. But what if they don't want to go? Okay. I'm going to get into that too. Skill development. We are working on recognizing the need to take a pause, step back, and manage emotions. We're working on coping strategies like deep breathing, mindfulness, or seeking comfort versus just sitting there in a chair in timeout with no interaction. Even if there is a conversation after, if we can be more on the proactive side and even have our toddler get to that, that time in area in their, in their calm space and do that before they're in a full-blown meltdown, then we really can be working on them with this. When we offer time in as a choice, we need to think about our language and our tone. Give them the simple choice, right? Make it simple for them, depending on the age of the toddler. We could ask them a question. Of course, we have to be okay if they say no, because they might say no, but that's fine. If you're giving them a choice, they're allowed to say no. Do you feel like you need some quiet time? Would you like to go to the calm area? So instead of saying it like is in a punishment format, go sit in the calm area. You see the difference in the language and the tone. When we give choices, we want to be inviting and we need to be okay with the answer. They can have options and choices within time in. They could choose a comforting activity like reading a book, drawing, cuddling with a favorite lovey or toy. There is the education that is built into it, helping them understand what they can do, how we can help them and what we can do next time to make a different choice. Or maybe they didn't even need to make a different choice because we didn't even get there. So then we look at also reinforcing the positive choice they made. 
It's great if they made a decision that they wanted to go to a calm down area and do time in. It reinforces and encourages them to continue the strategy. And you can talk about how it helped them with their learning process or how it didn't help and what next time, what could we do, right? So talking about it is going to help. And when we do all of these things and when we make it a choice, it's going to encourage development of essential life skills. And it shifts the narrative from time in being a directive to being a self-care tool, something they can carry with them as they grow and face various emotional challenges. But it does need to be customized. Time in is appropriate as long as you and others are safe. If you are being bitten or hit, it makes sense to back away, leave the space, and monitor from a distance. Yes, some could argue that looks a little bit more like a time out, but it's not. Okay, the intention is not because you are there to join them when they are ready or when you are ready as the adult. We have to always look at safety. Okay, so if it's not safe, we need space, right? Time in, it could be called a choice break. There's many different names that we could call it. Cozy corner, choice break, chill out, cool down. There's so many different names. And I honestly just recommend going with what what makes sense for your toddler. What do they like to call it? What would they want to call it? Maybe they can be part of the naming process. Involve them. Allow them to have some ownership over it. Make sure it's something that they can kind of say and communicate to you. Hey, mamas, let's take a quick break. I wanted to share with you Meltdown Mastery, the listening and skilled toddler mini course. Get helpful tools sent straight to your inbox and get your child to listen in two seconds. Imagine a calm home with less meltdowns. Go to the show notes for the link or head to twinmomroadmap.com backslash guides for super helpful tools and resources. Also, become a part of our cozy Facebook community for support, conversation, and double the laughter. Link in show notes to join. So timeouts are not always a directly related consequence either. What do I mean by that? Directly related consequences are easier to understand. Throwing a ball at someone, ball goes away for a while. Okay, I read this comment somewhere on the internet and I really liked it because that reminds me of my methods in Meltdown Mastery, the listening and skilled toddler. So timeouts are not always a directly related consequence. Directly related consequences are easier to understand. Throwing a ball at someone, ball goes away for a while. Like ABC method in my Meltdown Mastery mini course, I talk about, okay, sometimes consequences really teach directly the lesson. And if we're sending a kid to timeout, they might not connect A to B, especially if it doesn't happen right away. That's why I also recommend other tools besides just like a timeout sitting in a chair. We can use ABC method. We can use two-second solutions. Can they be paired with a time in? Or if a parent very insists on doing timeout still, could they pair it with that? Of course you could. Of course you could pair it with that. You could do ABC have a consequence for them hitting a sibling, uh, let's say, or they threw a toy at a sibling. The consequence is you, the toy gets removed. That is the consequence. They no longer get access to that toy, to that thing. Okay, a consequence, yes, could be the change of scenery. Yes, I understand that. 
But a lot of times also when we have multiple siblings, we're just trying to survive the situation, let alone get them to a timeout space and then for them to make that connection, right? That's why we also want to be teaching all these things proactively, like the calm area we're teaching when they're calm. We don't want to only be going to a calm area during tension, during behavior and meltdowns. We want to be practicing it when things are chill. So there's other solutions we can use. We don't have to rely on, you know, like a time out per se for all consequences, because then your child is just going to end up sitting in a chair a lot. Sometimes with some students, what we find or what we found was the brain seeks what's familiar. And if students are given a consequence like a timeout, then they are going to then expect it. And they might, it, it becomes comfortable. It becomes routine over time. Okay. I think I was reading, I was reading somewhere um, about children who were put in timeout and they actually found it sort of oddly comforting, even in their adulthood, to put themselves in a so-called timeout. It affected their their worthiness. Um, I think I was reading some comments online that some adults felt like when they were children, they didn't even feel worthy enough when they were put in timeout to sit on their bed. So they sat on the floor. And even as an adult, when they feel down, when they felt something didn't, you know, go right or there was something that happened, that they they continue that cycle because it's familiar, it's comfortable, and they sit on the floor and they feel bad right? Even as an adult. And I think that's important, you know, because the child isn't, isn't the problem and their feelings are not the problem. It's how they dealt with it. That is the issue, like the biting. And so sometimes when we do things like timeout, the child might feel that they're the problem and they're also not allowed to have feelings and their feelings are bad. And that carries on through adulthood, you know, go to your room until you can be happy, right? That could make a child feel like they turn into adult that had to hide their emotions, be distant from their parents and be distant in their relationships. It's really interesting. Also, I found this really interesting Reddit forum that a handful of parents on there were doing time in. They didn't know they were doing time in. They were describing how they did time out. And it's actually more looked a lot more like time in. And I think that shows parents do know what's best for their kids and they figure it out on their own too. They didn't know others were doing it as well until they all started talking about it on that forum. And I thought that was really cool because a bunch of other parents are like, this is what really actually worked for us. This is what we do. Oh, that's interesting. That's also what we did too, but we didn't know what it was called. And so that is really cool too, because sometimes these things aren't talked about like, you know, it's like what's in the house, you know, like the timeout, like it's not really talked about among parents. But when it is, we can find some commonalities, like a bunch of parents were actually taking time out and making it more of a productive and supportive experience for their children. And it looked a lot more like time in. And it looked a lot more like those studies they did. And they said that it was working. So I think that's really cool because now, even though this is still anecdotal, I realize it's still anecdotal, but we see 
a few different studies of a few hundred students that were preschoolers. And we also see parents saying they used similar strategies, even though they didn't know what it was called, that all had good results using it. So I think that is really cool to see that connection. You know, I'm so glad I delved deep into this episode in time in and time out for you guys in Toddler Toolkit, because I think that was a really cool connection. So I'm just going to walk through really quick time in, cool down or calm choice, whatever you want to call it. I want to walk through what it would look like before I go. Okay. Time in. We are supporting our toddlers in a calm area when it is safe to do so or where they currently are. Maybe you didn't make it to that calm area. Okay. So maybe they're having a meltdown wherever they currently are. That is going to become the calm area, right? Because it's just where we are. So whether they were able to get to the calm area or not, we can still use time in practices. Number one, stay calm as an adult. Because when we remain calm, we are modeling self-regulation skills. We speak calmly to our toddlers. Number two, give your toddler a choice, right? If you can, okay? So this is all, right, customizable and depending on the situation. If you can give a choice, don't give a choice if they're in a full-blown meltdown. If they're, if they're getting agitated by something and they're not in a meltdown yet, you can give a choice. Do you want the calm space or do you want to count to 10? Make sure these are already learned strategies. Make sure you already practice them when your child was calm many times before, okay? So do you want calm space or count to 10? If agitated, but not in a meltdown. Or you can guide them to the calm space if appropriate. We are going to go to the calm space together, okay? You could guide them instead of give a choice. It's up to you. Go to a calm area if appropriate to do so. All right, now we're on number three, connect. But we are keeping words minimal, not a lot of talk. So we can connect physically if our toddlers will let us. Comforting them with physical touch is a signal to the brain that our toddlers are getting support and help, and it helps our toddler feel safe. So what are some things you could do? You could gently touch their shoulder back. You know, you could hold their hand. Maybe they even want a hug. You could give them a hug, right? But if your presence is aggravating them or you yourself are aggravated by their presence, either one of you might need a break and that's okay. If they need space away from you, you can just say, remember, we're not talking a lot, but you can give very minimal words. You need a break. I'll be over here or I'll be over here to give you some personal space, right? Just short, sweet. You're letting them know we're not abandoning them. We're just going to give them some space, right? When they're ready, we can come back and give them that physical connection. It might take some time, but when our toddlers are eventually calm, we can talk to them. So after a toddler calms, we can show empathy. Our toddler's brains go offline during a meltdown. So it's best to hold space with physical proximity support instead of verbally words talking until your toddler is calm. So when they're calm, we can talk. We can show empathy and acceptance. Acknowledge how our toddlers feel. You were mad that your sister took your toy. It's okay to feel 
mad. We are validating them. We are not shaming them for their emotions and how they felt. This is really important. We also can give feedback and what wasn't cool. Notice how I didn't say good or bad, right? Because we never want to think that they are good or bad. But maybe what they did wasn't so great, right? It wasn't cool. That's not a cool thing to do. But they're not a bad kid. They're not a bad person. So we're going to be careful with our language there. So feedback, what wasn't cool. Okay, so, you know, they were mad, but we don't hit. Okay, that's what we don't do. We don't hit others. We don't hit our sister. We don't hit our brother. Instead, we can use words. That's mine or my turn. Now you're giving them feedback that doesn't just tell them the behavior that was unacceptable, but tells them what they could do instead. The replacement behavior, which is language, which is communication, which is that's mine, my turn. This works so well with my toddler twins. If one is getting frustrated because the other one has a toy they want, and they're playing with similar toys, maybe let's say, but one is a little bit different and they both want the same one. If one of my toddlers says my turn, the other toddler is more likely to share with them. And I've seen it multiple times or I'm more likely to step in and help facilitate that sharing. And the meltdown and the hitting or the biting doesn't even happen. We don't even get to that point because we have the communication and we practice it and we say it all the time. We say turn and share all the time in everyday conversation during play when your toddler learns best. We use these words. So when your toddler enters these stressful situations, then they also know that they can use them. But if we get in a situation like this, right? If we get in a situation like this and we needed to be in the calm space, calm area, and we need to give feedback about what wasn't cool and what we could do instead, this is when we can also reinforce it. We can remind them because our toddlers are going to need a lot of reminders. That's mine or my turn. Okay. And then finally, the next steps. What can we do next? Maybe we want to choose a different activity, right? This activity maybe upset your toddler. Maybe this is not the activity to go back to. Let's do this another time. Let's choose something different. How can we repair the relationships of those after your toddler had hit them? Maybe they hit a family member or sibling. What can we do to repair that relationship and work on that? Because the last time the siblings were together, right? One got hit, one took a toy and one got hit. So how can we now come back, come down from that and repair that relationship? And as the parent, you support them. So that is my own time in, cool down, calm choice, whatever you want to call it. But I think what sets it apart is that we can use it as a self-regulation strategy and as a choice and as a tool. It doesn't have to be forced. Of course, we can always guide our toddlers when we're like, okay, they do need this. We're going to guide them. But we can also offer it as choices too. We can be proactive, but do not forget because we don't want to just rely on this as our main mechanism. We really want to use proactive strategies like the five key skills that I include in Meltdown Mastery, the listening and skilled toddler mini course. We want to have those five key skills and know what those five meltdown triggers are. And we also need other methods besides a calm area or time in or even time out, okay? We we need other methods like ABC method, request praise method, and two-second solutions because this empowers you 
the parent to know what to do in the moment. Okay, that is the end of our episode. I really enjoy this one and I am glad to add to the conversation about time in versus time out. Let me know what you think and I will see you in the next episode. And that wraps up another episode filled with tools and insights to help your parenting journey have clarity and ease. Remember, every child is unique and so is our experience, especially when there's more than one. Keep celebrating those small victories and learning along the way. I'm Heather, your Twin Mama Guide, and until next time, here's to raising skilled, self-regulated toddlers who listen, learn, and love. Take care and see you soon.